At every ARBA convention, we're greeted by a banner that reads, For five days, you don't have to explain to anyone why you raise rabbits. Our hobby sometimes raises eyebrows. You show what? But once you step inside, you'll discover a world full of passionate, interesting people all working toward the ultimate goal, best in show. What can I do for you? Well, I'm looking for a white rabbit. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. If I were looking for a white rabbit, I'd ask the Mad Hatter. Okay, rabbit, you force me to use force. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Best in Show, the one and only podcast dedicated to the rabbit and KB show industry. As always, I am your host, Bryony Smith, and with me is our lovely co-host, the ageless and timeless Alan Messick. <laughs> Thank you, Bryony, for that lovely introduction. I'm super pumped about this episode because it's going to be a timeless one, one we'll get to use and our listeners will get to use every year. Yes, we're going to um, go away from our usual format for this one, and we hope that this will serve as a general guide for convention goers, both our first timers and our regulars, as a source of information that will apply to every convention. So you'll notice that we may be a little bit general about some things. We may refer you to convention catalogs about some things, but that's because we intend this to be um, something that can be applied for many years down the road. I love that. And, uh, you know, the ARB website is also a good hub for going back for information. But, you know, don't forget, everyone, that you can follow us on Facebook. Our hub for the Best in Show podcast will always be the rabbitry on Facebook. So if you're not already following it, please follow us and share it. And it will continue to be the hub for current past uh, episodes of Best in Show. And with this convention episode being one about, you know, general going to convention it's one that uh, will be timeless and one that uh, if you click on the rabbitry page, you can go back to any time to get those tips on going to an ARBA convention. So, Alan, what was your first convention? Gosh, uh, I will never forget it. And I have never missed a convention except for last year when we did it virtually. It was in 1998. It was the, the Portland convention. It was my first time to the West Coast. I grew up in Connecticut in, in you know small New England town and you know, people back there, I love them dearly, but they don't really travel too much. It's a, it's a small area, small state, so you feel like you, you get your you get your going out of town by by traveling to Vermont, which is well, forty five minutes from where I grew up. Um, so in '98, when I was brand new in rabbits, I was well, I was doing it for like about a year. I was given the opportunity to travel to Portland, and I thought, oh my gosh, I get to go to the West Coast for the first time and go to a rabbit convention I had never been. So. I remember getting off the plane and walking into that convention center there in Portland and just being blown away. You know, when you walk into a convention room, if it's your first time, you're not, you're not really sure about where open is, where youth is. All you see are rabbits and rabbit cages. And then the smell, of course, of fresh pine shavings. There's nothing like it. Um, and it was an event, you know, I got to go home and tell all my friends about. 
well, most of my friends. <laughs> and, um, you know, I had to get permission from my teachers and, and take pictures. And that was before, you know, camera phones. So we were taking like, you know, send the film off kind of thing. And I still have some of those old photos of, of convention. And I have to say that 1998 being my first convention was the last convention I ever actually ventured outside of the showroom and saw things other than the showroom. We went to the Pacific Ocean because I had never, uh, you know, put my feet into the water. And we went to the Haystack Beach or Cannon Beach where these I don't know what they are, but they're these huge pyramid shaped rocks, which pop out of the Pacific ocean. And, uh, it was my first exposure to the West coast. It was so cool. I'll never forget it. And like I said, I have lots of envy about that convention because it was the last time I ever walked into a showroom and then walked out sometime in between and did, did anything else, but rabbit and cavey stuff. But as we're going to talk about conventions today, there's so much rabbit and cavey stuff to do. Why would you want to leave the showroom? So what was your first convention? My first was 1994 in Tulsa. Um, we live you know, about four hours, I guess at the time the speed limit hadn't raised yet. And I had begged my parents to go for a long time. We did go to Tulsa most years anyway, for another conference. I'm like, I know we can do this guys. Um, so they did, they agreed to take me. It was a, a shorter trip. We got in there on the last day before check-in, which was Sunday then and stayed through the judging Monday and then went home. And I showed for the first time, I took two tort Dutch, both home raised and Oren Reynolds judged, and I won best of breed with my tort junior doe. And I wish to this day, I really wish I had some pictures, but I was just, you know, nobody knew what to do. We were kind of out of our minds at that point. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I really even talked to him. I probably was, you know, kind of scared to go up and talk to a legend. Um, and so afterwards, we went and celebrated at Casa Bonita in Tulsa, which is right down the road. Um, the first full convention I attended was 1997 in Madison, Wisconsin. And then I got to stay the full week and I competed in the youth contests. Um, and then my third, of course, was Portland in 98 when I saw the ocean for the first time in my life. I was 17 and that is not unusual for a Kansan. We're a little ways away from um, the coast here. Um, but I too remember, I mean, just the first time walking in that showroom at Tulsa, it's my, my memory in my mind is like a, a blurry image because there was just so much going on, so much activity. And that building, of course, is enormous. Um, but just everything seemed to, to sparkle that smell of the pine shavings and just, just this incredible feeling of being home and with my people and this excitement that I still get every time I walk to the showroom, no matter how tired I am, no matter how rough the drive has been, I always just feel energized and excited and exhilarated to be in that showroom again. It never gets old. It never does. And, you know, those conventions were, they predate the the banner that is now hung at all conventions, which says for the next five days, you don't have to explain to, explain to anyone why you show rabbits. And as you just said, walking in there, like I'm with my people, you know, you don't have to tell anyone, oh, yeah, I've got this many rabbits and I do this for them. And, and then get the questions like, oh, do they jump through rings of fire? And do you pull them out of a hat? And like, none of that happens. Everyone there gets your game, even if you're brand new. It's It's, there's nothing like it. Yeah, it's really incredible. I mean, you can very easily strike up a conversation with anybody. All you have to say is, oh, where are you from? Or what do you raise? And, you know, people are there to have fun and have a good time. And and I liked how you talked about um, your first convention. It was the last time you went out of the convention arena. And I, I have not done it much since. Um, not very much at all. Um, but I know that even though now, you know, both of us are in phases of our rabbit lives where we're very busy, we have a lot of responsibilities and, um, you know, people always asking us questions and people knowing who we are. 
um, I kind of do envy those first time convention goers who are just wide eyed and can spend the entire day just soaking all of it in kind of, you know, unbothered and just enjoying the whole thing that I mean, each each level of experience is something really special, I think. I'm getting nostalgic just, just listening to you say that because my vivid memory, one of my vivid memories from that 98 convention was going to my first judges conference and all the names, you know, the names that you read about in the Domestic Rabbits magazine were there. A lot of them were speaking. I remember seeing Eric Stewart for the first time. Uh, he sat next to me. I, I, I could have fallen over on my side with like, uh, you know, groupie envy, just blown away he sat next to me he had no idea who i was you know he was just sitting there going to the judges conference at the time he was he was a, a fairly new judge um but do you remember seeing some of those icons oh my gosh you had oren reynolds as your first convention judge i mean that's who who can beat that right like that's and, and being you i'm sure you you knew exactly who he was and his influence on the arba and our entire industry um what were some of the other faces that you saw that just kind of blew your socks off um i remember seeing glenn carr at a distance and that's Glenn Carr. Um, at the time, the the president and the treasurer were actually from Kansas, and I knew them. Um, it was Gary Mishu and Connell Addison. Um, so I, I already kind of knew them. But, you know, some of the legendary Dutch breeders, um, you know, Wayne McKinnon, who ended up becoming a good friend and mentor, um, you know, and just being able to look at these rabbits, I remember thinking, you know, I just, I can't wait to see what a best of breed winner at convention looks like. And then I ended up taking it home. And I don't know that that's always the best thing for a breeder, um, to win that quickly because it really maybe doesn't give you quite a sense of what it takes to do that again, or, you know, do that without a huge stroke of luck, which I had, um, but yeah, just just being there and seeing it and being able to participate. I mean, for those of us who have been to, you know, 20 plus conventions, I think we all still hold on to that memory. Remember um, in our episode with Josh, he talked about his first convention and he won Best of Breed French Lop, which is not a story unlike yours, which, by the way, everybody, I didn't have a Best of Breed in my first convention. I was showing Beverins and Youth, and they did not do very well. I don't even think I won a variety. Um, and there were probably like 15 in the entire breed show, but um, I still had a great time. Um, and remember what Josh said. He was so focused on how his chestnut Brigitte Petit did, who wasn't a very good one. She was like a brood but he was more excited about her than the French Lop that went on to win uh, Best of Breed. But it, it, it's funny how we all have those those memories of that first convention, which are, are still vivid and burned in our mind and uh, images we'll never forget. Yeah. Oh, I remember. I was more excited about my tort senior buck. He was out of my very first litter. He was the one I had picked and I really liked him. He was two years old and he was totally past his prime. Um, but he placed third out of six. I thought, oh, well, that's okay. And then, you know, the junior doe winner class and then variety. And that that was, you know, more than I ever could have hoped for. And then best of breed was just, you know, it was unbeatable. And I remember going home with those awards and, you know, my trophy set on the big speaker in the living room. We, we used to have those back in the day. And, you know, of all of the ones that, you know, I kept, which is not a whole lot because my mom, well, she's still housing a lot of my awards, but my husband doesn't want them all. But that's one of the few that, you know, sits right behind me, actually, as we speak, my uh, best of breed trophy from convention. Yeah, that's like the Academy Award, your very first one. It is indeed. <laughs> I remember, uh, and we talked about this too, going to a convention and seeing things and breeds that you've only read about in books um, because it is that place where everyone goes. So 
you're going to see the rarest of rare breeds and varieties. And I was showing a rare breed back then. And it was the first time I had seen light lavender blue Beverins uh, in person. Of course, I'd read about it. I, by the way, was raising dark slate blue Beverins, okay, back in the late 90s. <laughs> I didn't know what light lavender blue was until I was at the convention. And I was like, oh, wow. And it was actually Pat Vezino, that's Heather Coyne's mom, because back in the day, they were showing Beverins who had this light lavender blue Beverin buck. And I was like, whoa, that is what I've been reading about. And Derek Medlock from England also was there. And he's a legendary Beverin breeder and and BRC judge. And I remember being in, in like his periphery. I was like, oh my God, there's a guy from England here. I mean, this is like, this is like stuff. And he was focused on the Beverin because that was, that was his breed and, and learning and just listening and saturating. As you said, you know, you don't have to know anyone just to kind of be in that, in that zona and, and, and soaking it all in. There's, there is an opportunity to learn and to uh, fulfill your dreams around every corner of that convention showroom. I love that. That's so true. Well, let's roll into this and um, get going. We received a lot of really good advice from our listeners that we're going to weave into this, and we're just going to give you an overview of the entire process. So the first thing we're going to talk about is pre-convention planning. Yeah, and that's a big one because, you know, we we put, what, entries together for normal shows, you know, at, at this point, because everything is electronic, days before a rabbit show, a normal rabbit show weekend. But convention takes some planning and that's you know taking place months in advance if not even longer for 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 those of us that you know are trying to plan for juniors and seniors that are at their at their at their peak which once you're in this a while longer you figure out which breed and what timeline works best for them at, at their at their at their show and then or their show prime not to mention all the bad weather that goes into it along the way and certainly September and October never seem to coincide with with good convention show codes but what are some of those pre-convention planning tips that that you receive from listening well, the first comment we got was from Ali Rudy, who said, looking forward to ARBA convention from a breeder in central Pennsylvania. My best advice to first time attendees is to purchase the catalog from the host club. Lots of good information in them with an itinerary events. Also, if able to head to a local rabbit show and talk to veteran breeders that have attended ARBA conventions to learn tips and tricks on what to pack and what to expect. Ali said it so well and some big points there. Convention catalog, you've got to get it. Yeah, it, it's going to cost you 20 or $25. Uh, anymore, you can buy them on, in the digital version, which means you can pull it up on your cell phone when you're in the showroom. I mean, how many times are do we scratch our heads going, uh, what time does the banquet start? Uh, when is that Dutch club meeting? Or when are presentations for CODs and new breeds? Like, it's it's easy. It's easier than ever. I mean, I used to, and I'm sure you did too, tote around that the hard copy convention catalog, which of course you still can do, but um, it's nice to have it in your phone there and pull it up and scroll on down and figure out exactly where you should be at, at any time that you're interested in. Yes. And that includes the full schedule, um, a list of awards, a list itinerary, as well as all the conventions show rules. Um, Eldell Hansen said, understand the few rules of the show and please ask for help if you don't understand. And that's a good point um, from that listener. Um, Convention show rules are a little different. I mean, they're 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 sort of the same for every every show. But again, you know, when we go to a regular show, how many of us read the show rules? Because they're oftentimes so consistent among shows. Um, but there are some differences. And Brian, do you want to point out some of those those differences that are strikingly, you know, opposed to what we would normally find on a Saturday or Sunday at a local show? 
I think the first thing that strikes me is that convention show rules are very strictly enforced. Um, you know, sometimes if we're running a little bit late, we can still enter a show. We can still, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, we know you, we, you know, you don't normally do this. You can slide in or, you know, if you want to get your breed bumped up so you can leave because you have to go do something, you know, you can do that sometimes at a local show, but there's really no wiggle room for rules at convention. Um, and that's something that everyone needs to be prepared for. It just, the scale of this event um, does not allow for that. Um, you know, if people were allowed to check in late, which you have over 50 hours in which to do that, um, if people were allowed to leave early without a really good, you know, very pressing reason, you know, some sort of disaster or tragedy at home, um, you know, once that ball starts rolling downhill, you're talking about 3,000 exhibitors, 20-some thousand animals, you know, somebody found out, oh, well, they let me out early, or they let my friend out early, so why, you know, I should just tell them the same thing. Um, so really, plan to follow all the rules. Um, and plan for you know, very few, if any, exceptions. You know, the rabbits, the check-in deadline is firm. The checkout time is firm. Um, and there are actually penalties, you know, for people who violate convention rules. Also, something to read every year. Sometimes different facilities have different requirements. There are some facilities that do not allow particular types of bedding. There are some facilities that are very particular about where some of the used bedding can be placed. Um, you know, so read those rules thoroughly. Even if you're a longtime convention attendee, there are some things that differ by circumstance between shows. Right. And as you just said, there are more things going on at a convention than would be at a normal weekend show. For example, you're there for a long time. So cleaning your coops is not only, you know, should happen, it sh it, you you are doing it. You're cleaning your cages. So there's, there's a, a waste that you otherwise, you know, on a Saturday single show or triple, whatever it is on a single day, you wouldn't have to worry about, but there you're cleaning. Like there's a place in a, in a there's a right and a wrong place for you to, to, for you to stick your dirty shavings. And it's not in the sink in the bathroom. I'll tell you that right now. We have to put signs up at some of the conventions I've worked at. Um, and, and, you know, you and I have both worked behind the scenes at these uh, conventions a lot and have seen exactly why some of these rules are in, are in place. Um, you know, the convention is, you know, a set of days, you know, it's, it's a beginning and an end. And those are the days you can arrive and you can leave. And I've been on the committee. It was in the 2016 convention. There's actually a committee called the, the release committee, the early release committee. And it's a panel of three or four, um, you know, locals and you get together and decide whether or not if someone submits an application to leave early, because you can do that, uh, whether or not their excuse is because I'm going to miss the football game back home on TV, or it's because, you know, I've got a work event and my, my, my kid is sick or th these life changing events that you can't get around. But those rules are in place. And I've actually seen at a convention where someone, as you said, there are repercussions for breaking the rules. I saw at one of our conventions, an exhibitor decided to pack up after her rabbits were shown and leave. Well, when we put the convention on again, do you think she was there? Nope. Because the the repercussions, the consequences of that were if you don't abide by these rules, like you leave early, for example, you can't show at one of our conventions again. So these rules are are very strict as you as you open this our, uh, you know this this conversation, and for a reason. Yes, which is another reason to to just plan because, like you said, you know, needing to go back to work, kids needing to go back to school, the release committee is not going to approve that. Now, you know, if I know in Reno, one of the directors had a tornado hit his property. Um, you know, my grandpa actually passed away during convention one year. Um, these were real things that were real, you know, family tragedies and things that could not be planned around. Um, so, so there's definitely compassion for things like that. But if it's a, a planning issue, do not expect an early release. 
Exactly. And and plan for that. Plan for for sticking it out. And how many of us leave convention going, oh gosh, I wish there was like one or two more days because I didn't get to go to this booth. I didn't get to check out all the raffles. I didn't get to go to that meeting. I didn't get to see so-and-so. I mean, we were all in this building together for four or five days and I didn't see this person I haven't seen in two years. Um, but plan to stick it out because you'll love it and you will not be bored a single hour or a minute of your stay at the convention. You know, sometimes I hear people say that they think it's too long and I think you just aren't taking advantage of everything here. So that brings us to our next topic, which is making your convention schedule. We got a question from Emily Jago who asked, when making a schedule, what are the can't miss it events? Oh gosh, that's tough. (laughs) I'm going to go to everything. Yeah. (laughs) I want to see everything. And unfortunately, even within four or five days, there's overlap. There are things you that just happened to go on at the same time. For example, I put on Rabicon. Uh, I've been putting it on since 2009. It overlaps with the judges conference. Okay. It's a gripe I hear every year, but I'm like, okay, guys, look at the schedule. Where else would you put it? We can't put it when we're judging rabbits for two days. Um, we can't do it during COD day. Like there's only one, one place we can put it and it's, it's here. So it's Friday and Saturday. Yep. So we're going to go through some of the major events on the days, which they occur and please note, we're not going to list everything. These are the major spectator events. Um, the youth contests are going on during this period of time. That's something that our youth contestants and their parents should pay close attention to when planning their schedule. But these that we're going to talk about are the major spectator events and things that involve everyone. So on Friday of the convention, say, well, let's actually start with Thursday, because essentially at most conventions, you can you can check in as early as you know Thursday. You can arrive and get your stuff unloaded and your rabbits settled in and um that's that's a must okay but if you can't afford to come in on thursday the latest you can come in and we'll talk about that more is is usually saturday afternoon and and then you're really rushed but one of those first early events which takes place is as i just said RabbitCon, which takes place on friday evening and then all day on saturday so that's one of the reasons why you might want to come in early maybe on a thursday or maybe early friday because RabbitCon does start in the evening and briny you've been a speaker at RabbitCon before you know that um even though it's before and then intermingled amongst other events going on, it's still well attended. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely is. And sometimes people, you know, sign up just for a handful of sessions and, you know, go to those and maybe pop out and to do other things here and there. We see that a lot, but it's still very well attended and still valuable. Yeah, I get people every year that say, you know, I paid for this entire conference, but you can go to every every talk, every seminar, every lecture if you buy the badge. Um, but like, I, I just wanted to go to this one and that was, that was worth it for him. Um, and you get some handouts and literature afterwards and sometimes even a video that corresponds with maybe something you didn't get to see because you were busy doing other things or in a classroom where you were otherwise occupied at that time. So there's lots of, lots of, lots of choices and, and really good ones and great speakers. Yes, there are. Saturday begins the first official day of convention. So this is the day um, that is listed as a starting date on all of the convention literature, although the showroom actually does open two days beforehand, and you can check in rabbits, usually beginning sometime in the late afternoon, early evening on Thursday. But Saturday is the first official day, and every year it begins at 8 a.m. with opening ceremonies. What happens there? Um, There's a presentation about the dedication for this year's ARBA convention. 
And there are speeches by the ARBA president, by the convention general chair. Um, It's a very celebratory experience. I know it's kind of early in the morning and I'm not really a ceremony person either, but I would definitely recommend um, going to this. It really, again, just gives you the feel and kind of hypes things up for convention. It totally does. And if you're kind of new in this, it's a who's who, too, because as you said, the president's there, the convention committee's there, and also the Airbnb board is there. So people that you see their photos in the Domestic Rabbits magazine with their reports, they're from all over the country. Uh, They're all there, too. And it's a great place to put some names with some faces for the very first time. Yes, it is. The judges' conferences also start this day. The KV conference is in the morning. And just a reminder, Anyone can attend the judges' conferences. These are not limited to judges. They're not limited to registrars. They're not limited by age. Um, Youth can attend these conferences. Anyone can attend and learn. Um, Whether you're maybe thinking about pursuing a license or maybe you just want to come and learn, you are very welcome at the judges' conferences. The rabbit conference starts in the afternoon after the judges' luncheon. There is a closed session at the end, and that's the only one that we don't welcome the entire public to. And again, on Saturday, check-in closes and all animals must be cooped by Saturday evening. So that's your cutoff. That's when you've got to be in the building. You've got to have your animals unloaded and you've got to have your paperwork checked off by Saturday evening at 9 p.m. for the convention. That's a, that's a must. And that's one of those rules that we talked about earlier that not a lot of wiggle room. In fact, there's none because you got to think about it. If you've got a showroom of 20 or 25,000 rabbits, there's also a team behind the scenes, which you oftentimes don't see because they're in a back office and they have to process all of the changes or, you know, little, little bits and, and pieces of people entries that maybe weren't quite right, or, or they are right, because the next day starts judging. And all of that paperwork has to be ready by 8am for the judging to begin. And that is a machine like event. So uh, there's a good reason why we've all got to be checked in by a certain time on Saturday, because the team behind it has to spend all night long. And it is an all night event for that team to get ready for the next day of judging. It's very intense. And so all the information needs to be in. The next day is Sunday, which begins judging. Um, that's the big event every year on Sunday. The showroom opens every year at 6 a.m. for those who want to come in early, get all their rabbits cleaned up and groomed up. Open judging begins at 8 a.m. The show superintendents will assign breeds to tables, and the open judging will begin at this time. The youth judging begins at 9 a.m. This is an hour delay because it gives our youth exhibitors a chance to go and take the test for the royalty exam without having to worry about putting their rabbits on the table at the same time. Yeah, that's so smart. Those kids have a very, very busy start to their convention, no doubt, with all of the options to go to conferences and judges conferences, plus the contests, and then the rabbits start to judge at 9 a.m. on that Sunday. And I don't know about you, Brandy, but are you a 6 a.m. or when it comes to the, the day of judging for, uh, you know, getting your rabbits prepped for the show table? You know, it kind of depends on how excited I am about what I've brought. Um, if I've got something I really like, yes, I am there beating the doors down at 6 a.m. Um, if I'm, you know, eh, well, you know, I've got some okay ones, but nothing like really outstanding. I may be like a 6.15 or 6.30. How about you? <laughs> I have to admit, I'm not a morning person. I've said it over and over on on this podcast, but when it comes to convention judging morning, yeah, I'm there at six because I know that I'm probably going to judge not long after. So my grooming has to end uh, in order for me to make my way to my judging table. And I'm sure the same is true for you. Yes, it is. And I like to clean my coops out the morning before judging as well. Yes, yes. That's a great idea. You know, Um, as we heard in uh, the, in from Phil Gould and some of our, our British 
um, breeders, you know, cleanliness is important and they, they just look so much better when they've, when they've been living on clean shavings and they're happier too. They, they just perform better, I think too, and look better for the judge when they've got something clean to, to come from. They do. So Sunday is, like we said, judging, judging, judging. It sometimes goes into the evening. It's also a great time to, you know, if you when you don't have rabbits on the table, just look around and take everything in at the convention. You know, everyone has arrived the night before. All of the breed booths are up and running. All of the vendor booths are up and running. You can do some shopping. You can go um, scope out some of the raffles at the breed booth. It's a great learning day. You can watch judging of any breed you want. Um, the judging then continues on Monday. Um, again, you know, first thing Monday morning, the breeds that were not finished or were not judged on Sunday start rolling. And then Monday is best in show day. And that's always a fun one. And just to kind of highlight how breeds are selected for judging day and times, there are something called starter breeds and they're listed in convention catalogs. And those are breeds which typically tend to have more numbers. So it may take longer to get through them. So for example, Minirax, and I believe Dutch is a starting breed too. These breeds that have a lot of numbers are what we consider a starting breed. And every year they're maybe a little different, but those are outlined in the show catalog. So if you're raising a breed, you want to figure out like, hey, what day should I be really paying attention and, and, and get there early? If you're raising black Minirax, for example, you want to be there at 6 a.m. grooming your black Minirax because they're going to be the first ones to uh, hit the show tables. Yes, you do. Um, and a lot of times the breeders or the breeds with the smaller numbers will be on Monday, but there can even be some wiggle room in the plan schedule because not only do you have you know time for the judges to evaluate the animals, those larger breeds take up more tables. So as tables come open, those show superintendents are going to assign another breed to that table just to keep everything moving. Exactly. And it may be a, a breed that they anticipated being a Monday breed, but because there's an opening on Sunday, you know, if you've been on a show committee for a convention, you know, like get them done, get them done, get them done, because that's that's more time for the committee to plan for, as we're going to dive into next, best in show, which gets everyone ready for, you know, you've got time because they've been judged already. So sometimes those breeds actually do fluctuate and they, they may be on Sunday when otherwise you thought they were going to be a Monday breed. So, yes, we would recommend planning to spend Sunday and Monday in the showroom. Definitely. All right. Let's talk about best in show. All right. We love this one, right? Yes, we do. I mean, we have a podcast named after it. But, <laughs> um, but Best in Show is the pinnacle event of the convention. It's by no means the end of convention, but it is where the best of the best is chosen. And unlike shows which we attend every weekend, which tend to be double or triple shows, convention is a single show. I remember early on in my rabbit, um, <laughs> you're going to laugh, early on in my rabbit journey, I, I said to my, my mentor, I'm like, oh, so are there specialty shows at convention? And she's laughed at me. She goes, no, Alan your rabbits go up once unless you enter fur or yeah, unless you enter fur, or maybe me, me us. the rabbit is going up and it's going to be judged once. And if you, if you make it great, if you don't, well, you're done. So um, you've got one opportunity. And then that one opportunity leads to, of course, the pinnacle, which is best in show. And that is quite an event if you've never attended it before. And I recommend there's actually some YouTube videos of previous best in shows from ARBA conventions. You can check them out and, and see what it's all about. Some, some shows really go all out with the fanfare and, and which it, it's, it's a, an event that deserves the fanfare. Don't you agree? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, we start with the KVs. That's usually in the early afternoon. There will be one judge that selects the KV best in show. And that's kind of an interesting um, event because you will see some of those animals brought up on grooming boards by handlers who are not their owners. 
it um, it always amazes me that the KB people are so um, organized and so willing to step in and help and and also let others you know present their animals. Um, I was in charge of Best in Show at the Wichita Convention in 2012, and you know we were there with the KB people, and they said it's okay, we've got this handled. And I'm like, all right, that that's fine. Hey, I'm good with this. Um, this is my first time with KB Best in Show, so you know go for it. And they did. It went really well. Um, the rabbits is a little bit different. It does take a bit longer um, because the rabbits um, are selected in four groups. So you have four judges selecting groups for both open and youth, and then one judge selecting best in show from among those group winners. And both of these best in shows um, have youth first and then followed by open. So there's actually four best in show ceremonies in a row. And then when one is going on, something is going on behind the curtain. That's the next best in show lineup. So while KVs are maybe wrapping up their open ceremonies, the youth rabbit portion is lining up, which the audience can't see behind the curtain in an order by a convention committee team member or team members to get them ready to go up on that table, find your group, because it's like you said, there's four groups where your spot is supposed to be. And then, you know, to exit the table in a, in a pretty quick fashion so that the judging can begin. Yes. Um, so this does all take a few hours, um, but it's it's really a wonderful experience. I would recommend it to anyone. And and like I've said before, I am not a ceremony person. Um, I'm really not. But Best in Show is something that, that you want to plan to attend. I would maybe, you know, get yourself a beverage to take. Um, but uh, it's a great event and the seats are packed every year. It's a full house. Yeah, it's what we all wait for. That it is. After the Best in Show, the showroom does close early on Monday at 6 p.m. every year so that people can prepare for the ARBA banquet. One of our favorite events, and I think you and I are more devotees to ARBA banquets than most people, but I would totally... we like dressing up. We like dressing up. You don't have to wear your apron, okay? You can take the fur off. You can look great for one night in the ARBA amongst your friends. And we totally recommend it. It's, it's a wonderful event. I wouldn't miss it whether I was involved or, or just attending. It's, it's a, if you haven't seen those friends that you were dying to see, there's a good chance that they're going to be there that night. You know, everyone's hairs down. You can have a little more time to chat. Um, the president of the ARBA speaks and as well as others. And there's also usually uh, some very select awards that are given that evening to some very special guests. Um, it's, it's really a wonderful magical night and and then oftentimes it's followed by some dancing and some some time to again continue to let your hair down and and not have rabbit fur attached to you or kv hair whatever it is um and to enjoy your your time with your friends and your people yeah it's a wonderful night and for a lot of people it's you know it's a wrap-up of the convention all the tension from the show is over and it's just time to have fun however I don't get to stay up very late that night anymore because Tuesday begins at 8 a.m. bright and early with the new breed and variety presentations to the standards committee. Always a fun day. I mean, that's if, if there's one event that attracts a lot of uh, people uh, that are really like geeks of rabbits and cavies like we are, it's that it's that day, that COD day, which for you is a really busy day. Uh, getting you've had months of preparation, but then to put it all together into one event, which takes all day, is is an event to watch. And if you get to watch, you get to see those rabbits and cavies that are maybe COD, you know, unaccepted at the time varieties or breeds in their coops. But this is the time for them to shine. You get the presenters behind them that are are there front row and center, uh, whether they're you know prepping to put them on the table or whether they're actually in that in that meeting with, with, with that committee, with the standards committee, you and your committee. Um, and then when something get, gets accepted, like it's just, it's a moment you don't 
ever forget. It's, it's, it's electrifying and everyone cheers and everyone's excited because it's a brand new variety or breed and so much work goes into those moments. So, and that is the, their pinnacle event. Yes, it is. And I can tell you as a committee member, I mean, it's electrifying for us too. We definitely um, feel the weight of our decisions, um, but it's an exciting place to be. Um, it's it's dramatic at times. There are cheers. Sometimes there are tears. Um, but you really get to see the passion and the work that people put into this hobby um, to create something you know that they hope is lasting and that others will enjoy and be able to benefit from. And there's nothing like that giant whiteboard, which is dedicatingly updated as new varieties go through or breeds go through for acceptance or not. And how many times do we see updates on Facebook of it kind of like a quarter of the way filled out, halfway filled out, and then someone posts one that's, you know, the entire presentation day is done and you get a whole wrap up on that, on that white billboard of, of how things went for those new breeds and varieties. It's, it's a very cool and everyone appreciates that, that update. Yeah, that's another event that people are watching from home, like Best in Show. They're, they're wanting updates for both of those events. You got it. So also on Tuesday, there is the rabbit hopping contest. This is a kind of a new thing for our hobby where you can go and watch that activity if that's something you're interested in. Um, The Youth Scholarship Raffle is a huge fundraiser every year for that program. That raffle drawing will be in the afternoon. So plan to buy some tickets for that. All the proceeds go to the Youth Scholarship Fund and their coordinators um, work all year to secure some really good prizes, rabbits in almost every breed. So there's certain to be something there that you are, you know, excited to put some tickets in for. And then also that afternoon is the ERBA general membership meeting. This does not sound like the most exciting thing on the schedule to most people. However, this is a great place to go if you really want to know what is going on with the ARBA. You will get a rundown of some of the highlights of the board meeting and some of the decisions that were made there. You will um, receive statements about the ARBA's budget, the membership numbers. You will have uh, the opportunity to ask some polite questions. Um, And this is really, you know, where you need to be. I know people sometimes talk about, you know, well, nobody told me this, or I didn't know about that. But a lot of those things are announced at the general membership meeting. And also minutes of both this meeting and the ARBA board meeting are printed in the domestic rabbits afterward. Um, So there's really not an excuse not to know some of these things. Uh, You know, it doesn't look like very entertaining reading, um, but there's a lot of really good information in there. Well, and what's remarkable, it is the only time in a year that the ARBA as an association meets with the membership live in person. And if you're a paid adult member, you can oftentimes vote on things that are, that are being discussed and, and up for, up for vote during those meetings. So you, you can be an active participant, whether you raise your hand and, and ask a question or not, or give your input, you can still be an active participant in, in decision, in big decision-making that, that affects all of us. So it, I totally recommend going as well. It's another event that I agree. Like, Oh, I, I can just people like, why are you going to that? Like, because I want to know what's going on, you know, and I want to be part of it. I want to hear this is this is the time that you're going to hear about it. I could read about it in a month in the Domestic Rabbits magazine, or I could like be there in person when it's all going on. Yeah, yeah. So we, we highly recommend being in there in person. And then, of course, Tuesday night is the night that all of our youth contestants have been waiting for. It is the youth banquet. Um, this is usually very well attended, lots of youth in attendance. And the primary event there is the um, awarding of all of the awards for all of the youth contests, the education contests, the individual showmanship contests, the individual judging and ID contests, the management and achievement contests, the quiz bowl, the team judging, the team ID, and royalty. 
Yeah, it's a big one. I mean, we talk about the ARBA Open Banquet being on Monday being a big event, but the youth event on Tuesday is even bigger. And, you know, for those kids that maybe didn't enter the youth contest, which you guys should, um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go. It's a great place to meet kids from all over the country that have the same story that you do, whether you're showing rabbits or cavies. So totally recommend going to the youth banquet, uh, regardless of whether you are enrolled in those youth contests and waiting for your awards or not. Yes. And after the litany of awards, there is always a dance and events <laughs> just to have fun and socialize. And a lot of kids really like to dress up. So if this is, you know, you're looking for a place to wear maybe your winter formal or prom dress again, go for it at the youth banquet. Encore presentation of that winter formal event. Yes. <laughs> or prom dress. <laughs> Also, don't forget, um, running through Sunday through Tuesday are a lot of events going on. Breed Specialty Club meetings are assigned a time during this slot. So make sure to look up when your Breed Specialty Club is meeting. And sometimes they may move that around a little bit depending on judging. But that's another thing like the ARBA general membership meeting. It's a good place to be. You'll find out what's going on. You can ask questions. You can actively participate. Also, a lot of Breed Specialty Clubs do hold auctions and raffles throughout that um, three-day span. So again, I would um, contact your breed club, stop by the booth. Usually um, information is posted there. If you're interested in participating in those, the auctions can be a great place to pick up new stock. A lot of clubs um, solicit top-end breeders, and some of the rabbits may go for a little more money, but it's a great place um, often to invest in some really good top-quality stock, and it's also just kind of fun to watch. And most clubs do have a raffle as well with a variety of items, sometimes breed publicity items, you know, artwork type items, useful sort of items. People bring baskets to donate from their home area, sometimes with, you know, chocolate or um, coffee or wine sometimes even. So check those out too and help support your breed specialty clubs. Totally. And you don't have to be a member of that club or even raise that breed to support those raffles of other clubs. You know, as you said, a lot of times those booths have, you know, regionally based items that that breeders have brought from their home. I know the Californians are famous for, for bringing their wine to their specialty uh, club raffles, but it's a great way to support the club. It's a great way to support other clubs and to get your chance at some really cool items. And um, as you said, those meetings do take place for breed specialty clubs you know, over the course of a couple of days, because we have 50 Airbnb breeds now, and a lot of, or, you know, a, lot of a lot of breeds that are, are clubs that are associated with those breeds. So those times are, are different. So I recommend, you know, when you get to the convention and you get yourself settled in and your rabbits put in coops, your cavies put in coops, find out where your breed club booth is and, and use that as a kind of a hub and a, a go-to for questions pertaining to your breed, because it's usually run by people that have, are veterans in this and that know exactly what's going on. And they'll tell you when your meetings are and raffles and, and other, other fun stuff, because they've done this before. Yes, and most breed clubs do also have some sort of a banquet. Sometimes these are breakfast, sometimes they're lunch, sometimes they're dinners. Some of them are um, pay in advance reservation required. Others are, you know, come if you like. So this is something, too, that I would explore um, probably on your breed club website or maybe contact some of your breed club leadership, such as your secretary, your president, to ask them about this just in case you need to buy a ticket in advance. But this is another thing where, you know, if your schedule permits you to attend this, it's another great way to get to know people who raise your breed, some of the top breeders in your breed, in a really relaxed and fun environment because everyone is there to have fun at those breed banquets. Exactly. And sometimes they're not very formal. A lot of the smaller breeds will actually just pick a restaurant to go to and they reserve, you know, 20 or 30 seats and 
it's uh, it's something you don't have to necessarily plan too far in advance for or, or dress too up for, but it's a it's a chance to get to, together with people that raise your breed and talk about it all night long. So I, I I'm with you. I recommend that. And sometimes they are breakfast, which anymore I'm not really a morning person, but uh, those breakfast banquets work out so well when you've got a a stocked day plus other evening events that may may otherwise you know interrupt that. The Dutch Club is usually a breakfast banquet, and yeah, I'm not a morning person either. <laughs> Um, Wednesday is the last day of convention, and basically this is going home day. Um, every year the showroom opens at 6 a.m. Release of animals begins at 7 a.m. That means that's when you can start walking out the door. And the showroom closes usually at noon. And by closes, this means everything must be out. No kidding, because these convention show halls that uh, are rented out for us, there's going to be another event coming in there not too far after, which has nothing to do with rabbits and or cavies. And, and getting rid of that smell in the shavings is top priority. So usually everyone's out, and it's a mass exodus in the morning of leaving from that 7 a.m. when you can finally leave to really it's about an hour and a half when it's just a storm of, of breeders getting back on the roads and heading home. That's when the non-rabbit spouse meltdowns usually happen. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> so we got some great suggestions from our listeners. Lori Knapp Limwright says, I've only been to convention in Reno. I highly recommend attending RabbitCon. No, you don't dress up like rabbits. Not that kind of con. A lot of great educational information is shared during RabbitCon. <laughs> I have never even thought about that, but um, <laughs> yes, we're not dressing up, guys. It's it's all education. There was um, that one West Coast classic. There was that one West Coast classic, which we will never live down, but <laughs> that's for another episode. <laughs> Stephanie Brundage uh, writes to us. She says, my advice is to take a moment to enjoy it. It's so easy to get caught up in the drama and bad feelings. Take a walk through the rabbits and cavies there. Watch the judging for more breeds than your own and use it as a learning opportunity, which I think you and I have said over and over uh, during this podcast tonight. This convention is a learning opportunity, whether you're first time or whether you've been doing it for 50 conventions in a row, there's always something to learn around every corner. Absolutely. Daryl Clatterbuck adds some really good advice. He says, always allow more time than you believe is needed to complete a task. It can get very congested moving from place to place. Think ahead and plan wisely. I think part of that congestion is just, you know, you're on your way to maybe go get lunch and you stop and talk to somebody. I haven't seen you all week, Alan. How are you doing? And the person that you plan to go to lunch with runs into somebody else and it was noon. You plan to leave and finally it's 2.30 and you're finally walking out the showroom and then you're like, oh, should we get lunch or should we just wait till dinner? Um, but yeah, Daryl makes a great suggestion here to allow more time and don't cram things back to back. That is why I love the 24-hour um, entry, you know, arriving at a convention opportunity, because if you come at like two or three in the morning when you get there, it's less crowded. You can really focus on getting your rabbits unloaded, get your coops prepped, get your cage cups in order. You feel more organized. And otherwise, and I'm not complaining because I love seeing everyone, but I'm, it's it takes like 18 hours to coop your rabbits. And you're like, you've got a handful or two handfuls of, of bags and feed and hay and maybe even a rabbit tucked under your arm and you see so-and-so and you haven't seen him in forever and you're, you just got to drop everything to give him a big hug. And I'm not taking away from that. I love that. But if you come at kind of one of those off-peak hours, you can get a lot more done and then have time the next day to catch up with all your friends and not have to worry about any of the, the big responsibilities of unloading. That's very true too. And the parking lot tends to be a lot less crowded. You can get a much better parking spot. A thousand percent. The next thing to do is making entries. We do have an online entry system, although mail entries are accepted. 
Yes, we do. I'm, my, I'm sure your first conventions too. They they predated online entries. Online entries didn't happen for ARBA conventions until 2001 at the San Diego convention, but um, it's still an option to to mail in your your copy of your entry, but it's so much easier to do it online. It's it's instant. Don't you agree? It's instant and you can make your changes. The deadline for entries is usually about three to four weeks before convention. This is one of the things that you need to, you know, look at in your catalog, put on your calendar, put in your phone calendar, set all the reminders because it is absolutely firm. There will be that entry deadline again, usually three to four weeks before convention. And then a couple weeks after that, there will be what's called a change deadline where you can make some changes to your entry. You can actually log back into that system and make some changes to your entry. Yes, that's a that's a big reason to do your online entries because it's all right there wherever you are in the world to put your entry together and then to make those changes during that time period uh, that's allowed. And because as you know, when we get there, if you want to change your blue senior buck to a uh, tort senior doe, it, it ain't happening, right? Uh, no, it's not. No. Um, but these no. things can be done ahead of time. Also, if you do it online, you can log in and you can print out a list of your entries to use when you're loading up. Always a great idea. Oh, yes, great advice. So Emily Jago had another question. Emily asked several questions that we know a lot of people are dying to hear the answer to. So thank you, Emily, for being so open and forward about this. She asks, is the fur class worth entering? Is there usually competition? Does it depend on the breed? I'm asking mostly about fancy breeds like Holland Lops, Dutch, or Netherland Dwarfs. Um, There are two kinds of fur classes. You have your commercial normal fur and then your breed fur class. And yes, it does kind of depend on the breed um, as to whether they're competitive or maybe whether someone might consider it worth entering, like, you know, whether there are awards given. Um, I can tell you with Dutch, it is pretty competitive. A lot of people enter. We actually give awards for best fur by variety um, and then a best fur overall. That's seen as a prestigious award to win, even though we've almost never enter for a class at a regular show. Um, some breeds like mini Rex and Rex satins, mini satins, some of our fur breeds, that's another very prestigious award to win. Um, and then some other breeds, um, I would suggest, um, you know, if you're not sure, maybe just reach out to someone from your breed club. It's also a good indicator. If you look in the show catalog, if there's an award for breed fur, then that's probably something that more people enter and are, you know, proud to earn. Well, and, and she brings up a good question, Emily, when she asked about like Holland Lops, you normally wouldn't enter a Holland Lop fur class at a Saturday or Sunday show back home, but it's a competitive event at the convention. And oftentimes, as you said, Bryony, these clubs offer awards for best fur and the Holland Lop, I've been to their banquet. The Holland Lop club offers a very nice award for best Holland Lop fur. So to answer your question, Emily, absolutely enter the fur class. And if you happen to have a breed that has flyback fur and is eligible for the commercial normal fur class, I mean, yeah, Californians, New Zealand's and, 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 you know, real commercial type breeds that, that are tried and true. Those are ones that probably are going to take it or Florida whites. But um, if you have flyback fur, I mean, it's another opportunity to get some comments. While convention is a single show, there are other opportunities in these fur classes to actually get more comments. And as we all know, September, October, November, those are tough months to condition rabbits. And part of fur is that condition and getting them in shape for the convention on that, on that day is a feat in its own. So why not celebrate and put those rabbits in the fur classes? I totally support that. And fur classes is one of those where it is easy to make a substitution on entry day. You simply substitute a different year number. Yeah, super easy. And so it's less less strict and a good way to get some more feedback and compete for something that maybe if you didn't do too well in the breed classes, you might be able to do well in the, in the fur class. So, so go for it. 
Yeah. Um, also with your entries, you, this is where you will purchase your tickets for the ARBA banquet and the ARBA youth banquet. Um, we've discussed the purpose of these a little bit. Anyone can attend these. Anyone who purchases a ticket, you don't have to enter the show, you know, say if maybe it's a family and it's only the youth entering. The parents can absolutely purchase tickets to the youth banquet as well. Um, you just need to make sure that you do purchase these with your entry as the deadline is the same. Right. And if you're, if you're doing the entries, um, online, there is an option as you go to checkout for things beyond just entering your rabbits or KVs. And one of those options is the banquet. And you do want to, as you said, Brian, pre-register because the convention hosts, that's a big dinner event. They have to submit those numbers to whichever venue is hosting that banquet. And it takes you know weeks in advance for the venue to get ready for all those people. So it's oftentimes a case where you decide to go to the banquet once you're at convention and you go looking for a ticket. And the answer is Sorry, we're all sold out because we had to get those numbers in to the banquet venue uh, ahead of time. So definitely pre-enter or prepay for your banquet tickets as you check out, uh, whether you're doing it online or through the mailed entry, there's an option there too to submit your, your, your checkoff box and your check for the banquet. Another thing that you can order with your entries is a results book. And, you know, you might be wondering, why do I want to pay a few dollars for these? Um, these are actually published very quickly overnight. They've got pictures of the convention, pictures of the best in show winners. There's a full show report inside. So it's something that's really fun. Um, you can, you know, see your name in there sometimes. It's a neat little souvenir to have if you earn a big win at convention. And it's also something where, you know, if you're nerds like us, in a few years, it's going to be really interesting to look back and see who was doing well in your breeds, who entered what. Um, it's it's a fun little piece of history to have for just a few dollars. Heck yeah. And <laughs> not to talk about hauling up for a good, but I bumped into an old results book from, oh, I think it was early 90s, maybe late 80s, where Eric Stewart won best hauling up youth fur. And I still I still give him heck about that when we talk about you know the past. I'm like, hey, don't forget you had best hauling up fur once in, in youth. <laughs> so it and if you win anything, you you want that results book. It's got your name in it forever. And as so many going to convention will try to do, which is to watch as much judging as possible of other breeds, it doesn't, it just doesn't, it can't happen. There's so much going on. There's, you know, dozens of judges going at one time. So that results book is a summary that, that you can read maybe on your flight home, or if you're a passenger in the car, you can go through it because as you said, Brian, it's printed overnight before checkout. So it's available for you as you depart uh, on Wednesday of convention. So prepay for that results book. We totally recommend it. The other thing to do when making your entries online is to vote for the best in show judges. If you're making open entries, you will get to vote for an open judge. Youth entries, you'll get to vote for a youth judge. So scroll through the list of all the judges entered and give a nod to someone that you feel deserves the honor of choosing best in show or one of the groups for best in show. Yeah. And you get just one vote. So it's not a tier like, oh, my first choice is so-and-so, my second choice. No, it's it's one vote. And those judges, they really, when they say thank you, they they do mean it, that, that you you cast your vote with their single name on it. So we recommend that, that. And it's also a way for you to be involved in the convention because by submitting that vote, you had a say in, in who, chuck, who picks and selects the biggest of the big. Yes, it's very exciting. So we have some listener advice here. Susan Jones said, when I went to my first convention back in 2006, I only had five KVs. I would recommend if you're planning on showing, only take your top four or five rabbits or KVs. After that, then you will know what to expect and take as many as you can handle. The most I will take is seven to nine long hair KVs. That's a seven to nine long hair. One or 
two words, long hair. That's a, that's a lot. That's, she is a brave woman. And, and yeah, I agree that, especially if it's one of your first conventions or it is your first, you know, going in there without uh, 30 rabbits or KVs is a, is a lot less ominous and gives you time to focus and saturate everything that's going on. And, and uh, then next year, come back and be crazy as the rest of us. <laughs> Indeed. And, you know, even if you don't have anything to enter and are still planning to go to convention, that's okay, too. We welcome you. Lori Robichotti says, if you can go to convention the first time without rabbits, I'd do that. Everything is on such a grand scale, it can be overwhelming. If you do attend with rabbits for your first time, don't be afraid to ask questions. My first convention, I rode with pros who had been to many conventions. That support and experience makes a big difference. Above all else, have fun. And you don't have to clean anything if you go to the convention about animals. I mean, how easy would that be? So there are so many opportunities uh, at this convention to attend, whether you got the animals with you, rabbits or cavies or not, as we've said over and over again on this podcast. Indeed. So let's move into some travel tips and equipment necessary for a convention. And Susan had some more great advice here. She says, make a checklist of things you will need so that you will not forget something. Yes, convention can be overwhelming. Trying to find where to park your vehicle, check in, where to place your rabbits or cavies, where the bathrooms are, etc. If you're driving, plan accordingly. Know when you have to have your rabbits or cavies checked in. I always check in early in the morning so that I have enough time to find where I need to go, plus get my cavies placed in the correct coops. I don't like to feel so rushed. Make sure you bring extra food and hay, water bottles, food dishes, any grooming equipment for long hair cavies. I will bring either pine pellets or newspaper pellets for them to sit on because shavings are so messy and will get in their hair for your rabbits or your cavies. Label all your stuff with your name. Things can easily get lost. Make cage tags so that it's easy for you to find your rabbits or cavies. Just make sure your rabbits do not eat them. Cavies will not eat them. Bring cardboard for your rabbits or cavies coops. For my cavies, I will bring a towel or blanket so they can cover their coop if they are on top. Always bring extra stuff. You'll never know who may need something. Well, that says it all. <laughs> Thank you, Susan, for all of that great advice. I, I have to say that's that's something that each one of those things we've all we've all done and taken uh, part in. I love that getting getting there early and you know being prepared and and looking at the show catalog as you said earlier to find out which bedding is allowed because some venues um, it's not the convention committee's decision; it's the venue's decision on which bedding are allowed and aren't. So check check the the show rules in the convention uh, guidebook for exactly what is and isn't allowed. And a note to the covering your cages, that is oftentimes also a convention show rule. So check those show rules to see exactly what you can cover your cages with, how big um, the items that you adhere to your cages, um, because it is an event. And as many of us love to do, that's walk around and look at other people's rabbits and cavies. If it's covered, you can't see them. And some conventions are uh, more, more strict about how much you can cover them up because then they're you know, guests can't walk through and see them all. So check that out. I mean, I do too. Do you, do you mark your cages with some sort of, um, you know, colored index card or, or way to find them as you're going down this aisle of 55 blue senior bucks? I have custom printed cage tags from Cage Tags Incorporated with my rabbitry logo on them. I ordered them and picked them up at Reno and they're really nice. Of course you do. And those are those are great because they're subtle. They don't take up a lot of space, but they are uniquely yours. So it's something you can identify as you're walking down the aisle looking for that blue senior buck. You know, when I was uh, it's the, the, the banquet night that uh, Monday when we're getting ready for open banquet. We've just gone through best in show and you haven't fed your rabbits yet. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I've got to run through this. And, and then 
you're going, oh my God, did I forget one over here? Did I forget one over there? And you're looking around like a frantic person, which normally is me. Um, but if you have a unique cage tag on your cage to identify, hey, that's yours. It's one way to check off your boxes as you go through and make sure everyone gets fed and watered that night. Yes, it is. Um, some advice from a past Best in Show winner, Amanda Wampner. She says, the best thing for the rabbits is the least amount of actual on-the-road time as possible. Arrive early to allow animals to settle in cooping, drink, and eat. Bring water and feed from home if possible. Now, I'm one of these people. I like to get there on Thursday. I feel that the rabbits do a lot better if they're wheeled into a pretty quiet showroom. They're cooped, they're fed, and kind of the excitement and activity builds gradually around them. Um, I think it would be harder for them if they came in on Saturday into basically pandemonium. And also, you know, sometimes rabbits need a little bit of time to recover from the trip. I know that a lot of times mine, you know, if we've had a long drive, they're looking a little stale by the time I get them into the cages. Um, so give them a little time to refresh, get their appetites back and, you know, really get back into prime condition because they don't typically eat or drink a lot when they're moving in the car. They sure don't. And that acclimation period is, is really critical because rabbits are rather adaptable. We, we think of them as, you know, being scared all the time, but they're scared, but it's for a short period of time. Once they're adjusted and acclimated to their new environment, such as the ARB convention, they oftentimes will go back to their habits of eating and drinking. And then when showtime comes around, whether it's, you know, uh, Sunday or Monday, they look a whole lot better than if you had drug them in, you know, say Saturday night and they're still acclimating and they're coming off of, you know, day or two or plus on the road without eating or drinking, they're not going to feel as good. So come early, get them acclimated, get them adjusted to the new environment. And um, as Amanda says, you know, keep them off the road as, as much as you can. Just get them from your home and get them into the showroom. Yes, indeed. So some of the things that we talked about, you know, that Susan talked about in her comment or the equipment that we've t discussed, um, dishes. Most conventions will provide um, some dishes that will slide into the coops. They're the metal cans. Um, however, these aren't to everybody's liking. They're kind of deep. And sometimes, um, you know, a smaller rabbit might have their trouble getting, you know, their heads up far enough to go back down into the bottom of a can to eat their food because um, they're not as tall. Sometimes a larger rabbit may not be able to fit their head into that can um, if we're looking like a French lop or something like that. So a lot of people do bring their own dishes. But something to remember is that the coops used at convention do not have the same kind of wire as our cages at home. They're the pigeon coops. So some of our travel cups that we use in our carriers don't work very well. Um, you see the like the kind of gray or black or sometimes multicolored um, soft cups that have the, the three prongs on the back and the flat back, those don't tend to work very well because there's just nothing really for them to hold on to. The rabbits have a very easy time removing those and, you know, making projectiles of them. Um, the kind that we use for carriers that have the little um, wedge clip on the back, again, sometimes those are kind of hard to secure to the cages. Um, sometimes the, the kinds that work better are the uh, coops that will attach to a single piece of wire, um, the ones with the screws in the back. I actually use, and they're kind of big and heavy, but I never bring that many rabbits. I actually use some of the aluminum Crocs um, because they can't tip them over as easily. And I do use risers, so it works well with those. Yeah, those are great because you can't tip them over. And I'm sure you're probably the only Dutch person that uses them. So if you're looking for another way to identify your rabbits as you're walking down the aisle, look for those big aluminum Crocs. 
Yeah. And there's another thing that I'm, well, I, some of them have caught on, but one of the things that I use with my Dutch, um, Susan talked a little bit about cardboard. A lot of people like to put something in between their rabbits and the neighbors. There's a double layer of wire in between the coops, but again, it's widely spaced and a lot of the smaller rabbits can get their heads through. They can pull fur, they can start fights, never mind the spraying. Um, that's something we deal with in Dutch. I don't know if it's that bad for everybody. Um, it's but, worse for Dutch. I'm just going to say, but <laughs> if you have yeah. a white mini satin buck, it's e equally as traumatic or a white senior doe that happens to be placed behind a row of white senior bucks. If you've got a white yeah. rabbit, you want to use some cardboard. Okay. Yes. Get, get the shield. So some people will bring cardboard. Um, I actually um, have had made what I call cage liners. They're three pieces of plastic. They're cut just short of the measurements of the coops because some of them are maybe a little bit dented. Um, they, they, a lot of them have seen a lot of use. And so they're, the um, wires aren't quite straight. So I have them cut just short of the coop measurements. They have C-rings holding the pieces together. They fold flat. So I just open them, pop them open, ring them to the front of the cage and the rabbit has a little enclosure there. And let me tell you, especially with my bucks or the rabbits that have been backed up to the bucks, particularly the blue bucks, I take those out and I'm like, look at all this pee that did not get on my rabbit. Yes, exactly. Or would have ended up on your neighbor's rabbit. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, some people also like to use risers. We got a question from Lauren Cody about risers. These are a false wire floor that we put over the wooden floor with shavings. And a lot of people like to use these because it keeps their rabbits up and out of the shavings. Sometimes rabbits that are not used to sitting in shavings are prone to kind of some skin irritation. Um, some of the little like pimples that kind of develop on the genitals sometimes can just be an irritation. Um, but that's something you still really don't want on your rabbits on show day. Um, so a riser is a false wire floor and you can get these to fit. The convention website will list the sizes of coops for your breed. So you can make your own, you can order them ahead of time. You kind of just angle them in and set them down on the coop floor. Um, we will tell you that if you use risers, you need to clean your coops every single day. Rabbits that aren't on risers will help you a little bit because they'll run around the cage, they'll move around, they'll kind of kick some shavings out, kind of push some of those wet shavings over in the corner or maybe out the front of the coop. And most of what you have to do is just a little bit of, you know, scooping out a corner and then put some more shavings on top. But when rabbits are on the risers, those dirty shavings don't have any place to go. And one day is enough for it to smell. If you use risers, you need to commit to taking them out and fully cleaning those coops every day. Yeah, because just like at home, they poop in one corner of the cage and they're going to poop in one corner of that coop too. It's going to pile up really fast. Yes, it will. And it'll start to get a little bit smelly. Um, this building is, you know, a livestock facility. However, by, you know, Tuesday of these conventions, it can get a little ripe if people are not adhering to their cleaning regimen. It's ripe even for a veteran rabbit person like you or me. We Even we can smell it. And when we can smell it, <laughs> people that are outside the, the periphery or maybe have walked into the building, oh, they were like, what is that? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So another thing Susan discusses is bringing feed and water. Um, a lot of times rabbits are very sensitive to taste of water. A lot of people like to bring water from home or if they fly, they will go and purchase bottled water for the animals. And you can just get like, you know, jugs of drinking water at any store that are very inexpensive. This can help keep the rabbits on feed. Um, if the water tastes funny to them, they're not going to eat. 
Um, so this is a suggestion we would have. Um, a lot of people do like to bring their own feed. Every year there will be a list provided in the catalog and on the website of companies that have donated their own feed for use. However, um, say you use Purina. Purina has several different mills around the country. So although this may be Purina feed, it may not be exactly the same as what your rabbits are used to. So you might want to consider bringing some of your own. Oh, and not to mention, because there are there is a surplus in some of these bigger brands of feed, but I've been there where I'm like searching the showroom for that coveted bag of feed that I'm feeding. And it's nowhere to be found because ever if if you're in a, an area, for example, that you know, like out here, we have one brand that a lot of people feed. It's a local brand. Well, it's gone fast. And if you can't find it, then what do you do? You know, you got to feed something else. So it's a great practice to just bring your own feed. And, and in the water situation too, rabbits are like, I'm not drinking that. It tastes like chlorinated, you know, like it's not something they want to drink out of the sink. And if it's kind of, you know, not cool, bring your own water. Or as Scott Williamson will tell you, he, he uses um, kind of a, an electrolyte solution in his water back home that he can sprinkle in the water once he gets there. And it kind of hides the taste of how the water normally would taste in its raw sense and, and more like what they're used to back home. Yeah, that's another great tip. Um, yeah, with all this feed and water, consistency is really the key. Um, sometimes people bring a little bit of hay from home to get rabbits going. Um, and do remember that the feed and the shavings that are provided, those are for use at the convention. These are not free items for you to take home. Um, do not hoard bags of shavings. Um, if you get a bag of shavings, use what you need and then release it to the wild. Um, <laughs> and then, then there will be more left for you afterwards. Um, sometimes these things do run low toward the end of convention. So just remember, take what you need, share with others. These are provided for our use here. And no, you do not get a free bag of feed as a prize for attending. There's one way to end up on the rabbit inquirer. That's be being the guy that has the the flatbed uh, cart with 25 bags of his favorite feet hauling, hauling, you know what, outside the, the showroom. And you will be caught. The convention committee will find you. There's usually someone that's actually dedicated as a team member to be responsible for that feed and divvying it out. And they will find you as you're loading up that, that what you thought was free bag of feed. Otherwise, it's just going to be an embarrassment. So just, just leave it. Yes. So we talked about cleaning. It's important for you to bring some cleaning supplies as well. Um, I do have what I like to call my $5 cleaning kit for convention. Um, I would suggest going to your nearest dollar store because you can usually find the following items for about $5 total. Go get a little shower caddy to hold all your stuff. Go get a small um, mini dustpan and little whisk broom to help clean all the yuck out of those cages go get yourself a cheap bag of, or a cheap roll of trash bags. Um, you can't always use these to dump waste. A lot of times there are large skip bins to put waste in. It goes to compost, but you can use these to transport that waste there. You may not always want to tie them up, but you need something to put all the um, poop and dirty shavings in. Then if you really want to do a good job, get a small spray bottle and then go in with your friends and get a bottle of something called Zapsit that some of the vendors um, sell. Split it up among you. A little spray on that pea corner in your rabbit's cage really, really helps bring that odor down. So that's my $5 cleaning kit. I have been waiting for Bryony's $5 cleaning kit for, um, well, 26 episodes now. So I'm finally glad I got to hear it. And a little uh, attention to your dollar store days. <laughs> it's Indeed. so smart. There's some well, great rabbit stuff at the Dollar Tree. 
I, I know I've been there just falls apart, but I think those things, they will not fall apart. Those will last you. And I love the idea about bringing the trash bags. <laughs> if you see me at a convention and I'm digging through trash, it's because I'm actually looking for an empty bag to dump my dirty shavings into. Oftentimes I go for like, like a deflated shavings bag. But if you do what you do, you just bring a roll and you never have to go scrounging the trash like I do. Like a homeless person. <laughs> yeah. And the cheap ones are just a dollar. And all you need to do most of the time is just use that to transport some shavings across the showroom. It's not difficult. And I love the zaps it, um, comment you made because not only does it take away the smell, but it also neutralizes the cage. If you've got a, a stinky spraying blue Dutch buck, if you kind of take away what he's been doing since you got there, you know, that day, um, he's less likely to be all wound up and, and ready to do it again. So neutralizing the spray or that, that, that odor will maybe even calm your reps down a little bit. Unless he's picked a favorite target. I have had a couple of those who found a couple people that they liked. I'm eternally sorry, Al Gerhardt. Only a blue Dutch buck. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've also discussed cage tags. Um, one thing I would recommend is that there is a maximum size for this cage tag and be sure to look at the catalog. It will tell you how big these can be if there are certain materials that are not allowed. Um, so plan these accordingly because you don't want to make these, you know, sometimes people make these really neat, elaborate artistic creations and they get there and they end up disappearing because they do not meet the requirements. So that's another thing just to make sure that, um, that you read about before you get too involved. I, I like to bring a staple gun too, because sometimes if I attach it to the cage, say I use like a, like an index card, a, you know, three by five, which is normally allowed for a size. And I'll, I'll pick like a, a bright color. If I attach that to the cage, it doesn't matter what breed I'm showing, it's going to chew it off and, and eat it. So oftentimes I'll kind of staple it onto the, the wooden platform. If you are cooped on wood, by the way. So it don't, doesn't work if you are cooped on plastic. But if you're cooped on a wooden board, you can actually staple it kind of nonchalantly next to your 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 otherwise permanent coop tag. And I look for those colors as I go, on da- as I go down the aisles. It doesn't work so well by by Tuesday because then their shaving t- kicked onto them. But um, it does work for a little while. So I, li- I always like to bring a staple gun in my kit. Probably wouldn't make for the $5, but um, I mean, Dollar Store might have a small one. No, I don't know. But that's a good idea. I have seen a lot of people um, just get, since it comes in all sorts of fun colors and patterns now, get a roll of duct tape and bring that and just ah. tear off a little piece and wrap around the edge of their coop cards. So smart. So now that we're all checked in, let's talk about how things go at the show in, during convention. Well, check-in, we talked about check-out a little bit already, but check-in is also it's a busy event. There's often some lines and, you know, once you get your rabbits in cages, which by the way, you can do without ever checking in officially, getting the rabbits cooped is as simple as finding your breed row, looking for your name, looking for your tattoos that correspond to your entry. So if there aren't already shavings in the cages, which most conventions ahead of time, prep that for you, put some shavings in, get the rabbits in there, get them fed and watered. And then once you're all unloaded and you're, you're feeling good, the rabbits are eating and, and they're feeling good. Then you can go to that check-in line and provided it's done before that hour on Saturday, that's when you go in and officially check in for your paperwork. And what's in that, that convention packet that we call it, Bryony? In the convention packet will be your check-in sheet. There will be two copies, one for you and one for you to return to the show secretary with any corrections. Even if you don't have any corrections, even if you don't have any scratches, even if you don't have any ear number changes, you still need to sign that and return it to the show secretary so they know that that's the correct information to use for the show. In the packet will also be your badge. In the packet will be any banquet tickets that you have purchased 
And often there's other information in there. Sometimes there are coupons for local restaurants. Sometimes there will be, you know, a letter from the host asking you to um, perhaps clean um, regularly to help preserve the equipment. Sometimes there will be a parking pass in there. So most anything you've ordered, um, with the exception of the results book, which of course is not yet created, will be in that check-in packet. Now, sometimes if you go to check-in, you will only get your sheet, one copy, and you will receive the rest of the packet upon returning that sheet. Um, sometimes this is how it works. I know we all, you know, want everything right away, but this is a kind of um, an incentive to make sure that people return these sheets as quickly as possible so the show secretaries can enter this information as quickly as possible. So please remember that the people working at check-in, they are all volunteers. They are all exhibitors, breeders, um, club members like you and me. So just remember always to be kind. Yeah, those those volunteers that are sitting there, you know, handing out packets and, and taking them back. They all have rabbits and cavies too, and they've got responsibilities of their own. And they've been so kind to sit there as a volunteer and, and be paid nothing <laughs> to, uh, to you know, be greeted by people that have driven cross country to get there and maybe are sometimes a little f- frustrated with and flustered with, with the moment. But um, yeah, be kind to them. And uh, that packet, by the way, that's, it's so important. You brought up a good point. Even if you have no changes, you still need to submit that control sheet, that paperwork, because that tells the convention committee behind the scenes, which you probably won't even see that your rabbits are there, you're there. And to proceed with printing comment cards and control sheets with your animals on there so that they have a spot uh, during judging. Also on your check-in sheet, you will see coop numbers for all of your rabbits. These will correspond to the tags on your cages. As you check rabbits in, write those coop numbers in the ear. You do not need to write the breed prefix. Um, Say if you have, if it says DT236, you don't need to write the DT. People know it's a Dutch. Um, But just write the number 236 in the rabbit's right ear with a black permanent marker. Um, A lot of shows only allow black to be used. It's just a good thing to prepare. It's the darkest color. Um, So you want to get your coop numbers in right away. And those coop numbers have a purpose. Um, You and I have judged conventions a lot and a lot of our listeners are judges as well. We don't read tattoos at the judging table when we're going through those rabbits. The unique ID to us for anonymity purposes is the Sharpie in the right ear. And yes, there is uh, you know, a team behind the scenes at your judging table, which then verifies the tattoos for first place animals. But um, that number is very important. It's, that is the unique ID that, that your animal is given that week for a convention. So it's really important it goes in there. And if you happen to do it early on when you arrive, say you arrive on Thursday or Friday and you put that coop number in there, by Sunday or Monday, it may be faded. So definitely recommend during your grooming prep period before the, the big judging moments, check to make sure that coop number is still legible and in the ear. And if not, just take your Sharpie and write it again. That's great advice. And you might even want to think about um, before you put those coop numbers in, maybe even before you leave the home, just taking like an alcohol wipe and wiping that right ear out to get rid of maybe any wax or anything like that um, that might prevent that coop number from adhering the best that it can. Those are also used um, by the table writers on judging day. Often in large classes, the cards are going to be laid out in numerical order by coop number. And that's how the writers, both for the control sheet and the comment cards, there's usually two people at each table, are able to quickly find that card and quickly find that rabbit's place in the control sheet instead of having to dig through possibly 20, 50, even 100, up to 250 in some of those large 
pollen classes to find your rabbit. So if the coop number is missing, it takes a lot of time to locate the private ear number, then locate the corresponding coop number. And also coop numbers is what runners use to take your rabbits back to the coop after judging. So it's critically important on several levels that you do get those coop numbers in the ear. Those coop numbers are legible. Um, Nicole Wood commented, write the rabbit's coop number in the right ear. I didn't know to do that at my first convention, and I didn't learn that fact until the rabbits were hitting the table. Whoops. Yep. It's not an ARBA rule to have that coop number in there, but it makes for a grumpy team and judge behind the scenes during judging day when that coop number is not in there. So definitely make sure to get that in there. And, you know, when you get that check-in list and you are given a copy, which has the, the coop numbers on it, or if you enter online, you get those coop numbers ahead of time. You know, you can always take a picture of that with your phone too. So that's always available if you have to look up a coop number and how it corresponds to a tattoo or your, you know, your individual animal. So take pictures with your phones. Everyone's got those smartphones these days, you know, use them wisely. Indeed. Another question that we receive often is about, buying and selling rabbits at convention. At conventions, only entered rabbits may be in the showroom. So no, you cannot just bring extra rabbits to sell at the convention. That is a hard and fast rule. Um, The buying and selling process is just as similar and just as different as any other show. Some people like to do pre-sales only. Some people like to do holds. Some people don't like to sell anything at all until they get to the convention. Um, We would recommend that if you're interested in getting something from a particular breeder, contact them ahead of time. Say, hey, this is what I'm interested in. It's um, much more likely that they will be willing to find something for you if you, you know, can give them some specifics. Um, You know, every once in a while I get a request, I want to get something from you. And I say, okay, you know, is there a color? Is there a sex you're looking for? Particular traits? Uh, no, I, I just want to get something from you. And to me, that sounds like you want a name to put on a pedigree. And so that's kind of going to go to the bottom of my request list. I'm going to try to fill the ones first where somebody that has a specific request. Um, and then maybe if there's something left over, you know, we'll funnel down to the person that just wants something. Um, but go ahead and contact breeders ahead of time. And, you know, if they tell you they pre-sell and that's something that you're agreeable to, then go ahead and do that. Maybe they don't. Maybe they'll put you on a waiting list or maybe they'll tell you, hey, just look me up at convention. Um, But there's no right or wrong way to do it. Every breeder gets to decide. It's just the same as anywhere else. Um, But sold rabbits do have to stay for the duration of convention. Right, because those sold rabbits are essentially also entered rabbits and nothing can leave the showroom until the official checkout morning of of Wednesday. So, you know, if you come to convention and you're just there for a couple of days, maybe you're going there to buy, maybe you're there for one day and you want to buy something, you know, you're not going to be able to leave with it on Monday or Tuesday. Those rabbits and caveys cannot leave until Wednesday. That's a very, very strict rule. And if you violate that, you will be found out and you will have some some consequences to pay. Indeed. So yes, if you can't stay the whole time, just plan to ask someone if they can transport that rabbit back for you. Absolutely. So Emily Jago asked some more questions about the way the show runs. And these are fantastic questions because it does tend to be a little bit different per breed. She says, rabbits are put on the table by runners, correct? Who runs the rabbits up? Can we put our own rabbits up? Can we help put other breeds on the table? Who do we talk to about volunteering? What do we need to do to make sure our rabbits are put back in the correct coops? Um, yes, rabbits are put on the table by runners. That is, um, as to who runs the rabbits up, that's anyone who is there and volunteering. Usually, um, at the beginning of the day, it's going to be breeders of the breed. They're going to be very enthusiastic. Um, some breeds, the rabbits go up one at a time. People will take a rabbit out of the coop, 
carry it by hand to the table, go back, take another one, carry it by hand to the table, sometimes using the tear tabs at the bottom of the comment cards that have a coop number on it. In other breeds, um, like I know Dutch, we use large carriers and two or three people will go through and load an entire class. So I would just, you know, if you're not used to how your breed works, I would maybe just hang back for the first class, kind of watch to see what happens as far as running the rabbits up to the table. Um, you know, you can run your own if you're hand carrying. Um, sometimes people, you know, they might, oh, well, there's not a rabbit for this tag. Well, you know, if there's one on the table, you'll usually be all right. Um, the breeds where, you know, the entire class is loaded in a carrier, if they come there and that rabbit's not in that carrier, there people are going to spend time looking for that animal. Um, so it's best just to leave your rabbit in the coop. And if you want to help load that class, you know, go for it. Um, but, you know, once you see how that first class gets loaded on the table, that'll kind of show you how it works in that breed. Because each breed's, you know, committee and breeders do run that show. The show superintendents for the convention assign tables, but they can't be, you know, at 20, 30 breeds at a time running the show. So each breed has a different way of running the show. But immediately as judging begins, rabbits will go off the table. So that's really when a lot of times judges will tell you um, when we send rabbits off the table, that's when we really have to yell for runners. And again, anyone can take that rabbit back to its coop. One of the biggest times that we need runners is after lunch because people disappear after lunch. Um, so maybe if it's your first time and you want to watch for a little while and then jump in after lunch, that's a great time. Um, uh, can you help put other breeds on the table? Yes, absolutely. That's fine. Um, I remember the last indie convention I was kind of meandering through and I helped run some Californians. Um, who do we talk to about volunteering? Some breed clubs, again, kind of like people to sign up. Others just, you know, hope you show up. And to make sure the rabbits are put back in the correct coops, you will want to check those coop numbers and ear numbers immediately after judging. Yeah, I think checking that tattoo is important as well at that point, because at that point, the rabbit's going back. And say someone goofed up and put the wrong coop number in the ear, there's only one coop number, 289, that pertains to that particular rabbit. But the ear number at that point will always be unique, and it will also be listed on on the coop tag, which is, you know, stuck to the cage. So when I run rabbits, if I have a chance, I always check not only the the right ear, that coop number in Sharpie, but also the tattoo to make sure that the rabbit gets put back in their cage. Because I think every one of us at one point has gone down a row at convention looking for our rabbits and didn't find one of them that was supposed to be there only to find out it was in its neighbor's coop or one ten down because, you know, someone put it in the wrong cage. So if you're running rabbits, definitely check those tattoos and running is such a great opportunity to volunteer and get involved. Well, I know that some breed clubs like volunteers to sign up ahead of time, especially if, if you're in that after lunch show season or show showroom you're kind of desperate for, for help. It's a great way just to jump in and say, Hey, what can I do? Can I handle some rabbits? Um, and I doubt anyone will ever say no, uh, to those hands running back and forth, getting the rabbits to and from the judging table. Um, so great way to volunteer and get involved. And if you do want to show your own rabbit and say they are part of, as you described, Brian, those carriers of rabbits that go up, you know, in waves for a class. Um, I, I find it incredibly annoying as a judge when I see someone who hasn't volunteered all day uh, begging the table writer uh, for their unique tag so they can hand carry their single rabbit and then dismiss everyone else that also needs to go up to that class. So kind of a no-no. You know, if you're if you happen to be one of those breeds where they're brought up in, in, in waves, in groups, you know, why don't you just volunteer for that variety if you really want to be there and, and watch it and be part of it and handle it and handle some other rabbits and, and help get the show going and, and faster and more efficient than otherwise it would have been. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's a great way to make the time pass too, because the large classes, they do take some time. And if you're just standing and watching, it can get a little boring. Um, it's more fun if you're running and, you know, you can listen to comments and, you know, maybe you want to take a pause when you hear your rabbit's ear number called out. Um, but yeah, don't be that person that only helps with your own animals. Um, that reminds me of the servers that only run their own food and nobody likes that. No, definitely not. And the, the table writer doesn't like it either because suddenly they've got to stop what they're doing. They're probably, you know, waiting for the judge for their next comments. And suddenly they're taking time away from their organization and the judge to find that one little runner card for the breeder that wants to handle their one and only rabbit. So just just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. At, at some point during convention, someone is probably going to handle your rabbit. And I'm kind of fussy about mine being handled too, but it's just something that you have to accept. It is. So Joe Kim, another Best in Show winner, gives us a little bit of advice about that day. He says, the best advice I have is do not feed rabbits anything the day of show until judging is over. Such great advice. It's like when you eat Thanksgiving, do you really want to go and run a mile? Or do you feel like you're looking your best and then you're like, um, please put a bag over my head. I don't want to do anything, but just sit here right now. And the rabbits are feeling the same thing. You know, let them eat once the once their performance is over with and they will feel better and you'll probably do better too. Indeed. A lot of breeders um, do have an evening feeding schedule at home and continue this at convention. So that daily care is another thing that I want to talk about and touch on a little bit about kind of what we, we alluded to earlier about, you know, other people touching your rabbits, making sure they get back in the correct coops. A lot of people are really concerned about security of their animals, making sure their animals get home. And some conventions have varying levels of security. It's kind of a no-win situation for the host club, to be really honest. Um, at some of the shows, there are people at every exit asking to look in large bags, buckets, and boxes to make sure that there are no animals going out. This tends to really offend some people. Sometimes it shows we don't have that. And then it's found out on Wednesday morning that rabbits have gone missing. And there's this great hue and cry about, well, we should have had some security. We can't have it both ways. So please do remember um, if our security um, team from the convention asks to inspect, just let them. It is for everyone's good and it protects your rabbits as much as everyone else's. A lot of people like to bring zip ties for their cages. Um, yes, zip ties are easy to cut through, but um, they help keep rabbits in cages. And that's another aspect of security is keeping your rabbit in its cage. Um, again, some of these have been used several years. Some of the latches are tighter than others. So a lot of people like to bring zip ties to close their cages. Um, some people, you know, if they're very concerned about their animal security, will also bring something like padlocks. Do make sure that these are removed by judging day. Um, if your cages are zip tied or padlocked, you know, someone can't get into that. If they're zip tied, um, they may not be judged. Yes, sometimes they'll try to find the owner and cut those zip ties, get the animal to the table. Um, they may assume that you've scratched. So you may miss judging if those cages are not open. One thing yeah. that I would recommend everyone do every day when you feed, check your tattoos every single day. Rabbits are handled every day at convention. People look at sale animals. They do this. They do that. A lot of this coop swapping is very unintentional. People grab the rabbit next to theirs. They grab the rabbit above theirs or below theirs. So check your tattoos every day when you're feeding your animals. 
And like you said, check those coop numbers. Make sure those have not faded, even after judging. If your rabbit were to get out, that's how the show staff is going to be able to return your rabbit to the cage is with its coop number. That needs to be legible for the duration and for checkout. Right. And if you use those zip ties, that's a great way to keep them in the cages. More more than just security from having your rabbit taken by the wrong person, which rarely happens. It's a way to keep the rabbit in the cage. You know, even even with the best coops, the newest coops, rabbits are curious and they are, you know, how they are at home. They're, they've got their, their mouth on the wire and they're pulling on it. And at late at night when all of us are at a banquet or sleeping and that convention is otherwise a ghost town, those rabbits are going to town. And I've been on the committee that gets in there first thing in the morning to find, you know, quite a few loose rabbits that, that got out because they, they were able to open their cages on their own. So, you know, a, a little zip tie will, will help prevent that. And then also prevent harm to your rabbits. You know, it's one thing to be put in the wrong coop or not to find it, but what if you do find it and it's got a, you know, broken teeth because it, it fell three feet from, from its coop and landed on hard concrete. So it's, it's a real good safeguard to use those zip ties if you do it, especially responsibly and take them off before the judging begins for your breed. Yes. And I've found the plain old white ones, um, rabbits tend to chew on those less. I've used some of the fancy colored ones before. And for whatever reason, that seems to draw their attention. Talking about checkout day, um, before checkout day, something I would really recommend everybody do. You want to keep your check-in sheet. And then the night before you go home, take a few minutes in your hotel room, get that checkout sheet out. Note all of the rabbits you're taking home with you. Organize all of your sales slips for rabbits that you have sold. Organize your sales slips for rabbits you've bought. Make yourself a list. List every rabbit you need to pack up the next day. Then when you're preparing to go to the showroom, get there first thing in the morning. The first thing you need to do, you do not need to get your packet. Go and load up your animals. Check your list as you go through. It is a crazy day. You're going to be tired. Everyone else is going to be tired. But the best way you can ensure that there aren't going to be any mix-ups that you take home all of the animals you need is to make that list and check it as you're packing up. Um, Something that can be really helpful, um, maybe if you are a little bit concerned about something, you know, being grabbed by mistake or walking off, is just find a buddy. Load your animals up, park them in a quiet corner where they're not in anybody's way. Someone can stay with the rabbits and someone else can go pick up both of your checkout packets because you will need those to check out. Absolutely. And then if you've has, if you've sold rabbits and say you have pedigrees or those uh, those release slips still to give to exhibitors, you know, find an area where you can be pr- primarily. So you can tell your buyers, like, I'm probably going to be in the otter Netherland Dwarf Senior Buck area because maybe that's the biggest entry that you have. So if you have a hub, I always try to find a hub. I stake it out really from the time I get there. I want a hub because I've got a lot of people still to see at the end of convention, either to get rabbits or to move rabbits onto their new owners. So find a spot that you can tell people well in advance. Like if you need to find me and I'm not answering my cell phone because I'm going crazy, this is where I'm going to be. And you're most likely going to find me there for anything outstanding uh, on my end that I need to get to you. Yes. And sometimes some breed booths will actually put up like little cork boards or message boards where people can leave something like, you know, a sales slip if they're just having a hard time meeting up with each other. It's also a good idea. And I would always recommend everyone have your pedigrees ready ahead of time. And so when you sell that animal, when you meet with that person, it's there. Um, Some people even like to pre-fill out the sales slips with everything but the name of the buyer. Um, And that can be just a really handy thing to do. So it's all done at once. 
Right. You don't have to wait until that checkout morning to actually give that release slip. That could be done well in advance of of that crazy morning. And, you know, because as we know, those sales begin even before judging gets there or begins and even before we finish unloading. So have those sales slips ready. So it's one less thing you've got to worry about. Yes. And that leads into our final segment, talking about going home. Oh, going home. The madness. The hour and a half. It's crazy. But as Dale Hansen says, unreleased morning. You cannot be in a hurry. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, it, it, he's right. Because you're going to forget something if you're in a hurry, right? You're going to forget something. And, you know, if you're planning to be out of there by, you know, well, rabbits start releasing at 7. I'll be out at 7.30 and we can go get breakfast. Um, there's there's going to be lines. Um, the way that checkout works is that there are volunteers, again, are, are kind people who are just as tired as you are and who also have their own animals to pack up will be standing at every exit to check your numbers of rabbits. They will use your checkout sheet and your sales slips to verify that all these animals are the correct ones. And again, this is done as a protection to you and to everybody else. The goal of the convention committee is to make sure that all the rabbits go home with the people that they are supposed to go home with. Absolutely. And um, (laughs) I know you're going to want to talk about this too, but getting in there at other than seven or eight in the morning is not a good idea because this convention committee, as we said, they want to pack down. They've got a lot of work ahead of them to clean those coops out, to get them loaded. The Airbnb um, committee that's behind those coops has to put them very precisely back into containers and trailers. They want to get it done. It takes a lot of work and there's usually less volunteers left at the end of the convention than there were during or, or beginning convention. So I know at the last convention we put on in Reno, what happened was, uh, well, people don't come when they're supposed to, and those coops have to be taken down. If you have an aisle full of empty cages and one or two rabbits, the committee then has to grab those rabbits and then take them to like one single area in the building for like the the rabbits that haven't been claimed yet. And it is so much work for the committee to have to worry about that. And those convention halls are massive and, and hauling rabbits back and forth to that area. It's just not fun. And it's one less thing that that committee can focus on when it comes time to actually cleaning up the convention and getting it back in order for the next event that's going to happen likely within days in that same venue. Yeah, there is always someone every year that reads a schedule and says, oh, checkouts from seven to noon, I will meander in at 1130. And you're likely going to find a lot of people who have shavings in their hair or a bit dusty or wearing work gloves, a little sweaty, kind of annoyed, um, staring at you, waiting for you to come get your animals. Um, one of the things I do, and again, I am not a morning person. It's it's painful to me, um, but I just roll out of bed in the morning, slap on a little concealer, throw on a hat, and I go get my rabbits. Then once I've got my rabbits, once I'm out of the showroom, then I go back to the hotel, then I take my shower, then I pack all my stuff up and get on the road. Yes, that's great advice. Just take care of the rabbits first, as always. Yes, this is what convention is all about. Um, And again, being there at the very beginning of the day um, and having all of your ear numbers checked every day is really going to help with those mistakes of wrong animals and wrong coops. I know, and I'm sure you've heard stories of people who took care of the wrong rabbit all week. Um, (laughs) Yes. I, hey, I, it happened to me. I bought the wrong rabbit once. I remember thinking, oh, hey, this is a really nice rabbit for $75. I'll take this. And it was in the wrong coop. And the rabbit oh I God. got was a $75 rabbit. The one I thought I was buying was a $250 rabbit. They were priced pretty accordingly. Mm. Um, 
I also remember going to a national show and a rabbit was DQ'd for the wrong ear number. And the owner was absolutely flabbergasted because they had purchased a different rabbit at convention six months earlier and had taken home the wrong rabbit, had never looked at the ear number and cared for it for all this time. Oh, my God. (laughs) That that is a story of stories for (laughs) mistaken rabbits. That's great. Yeah. So, again... Just just check, be vigilant. Um, honest mistakes happen, and, and almost all the time the mistakes are honest. Um, but check, be vigilant, and get there and load up your rabbits in the coops first thing in the morning to avoid any of these accidents. You got it. And then get on the road and head back home, as we love to do. And it's a sad one, but a bittersweet goodbye. It is. It always feels like a letdown. The time always goes too quickly. You know, it's it's like leaving camp, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you've done it right, you will not really have much knowledge of what's gone on in the outside world for the past week. No kidding. And then as you're on your way home, you know, another attention, another, you know, big tribute to those volunteers behind the scenes that put on these conventions. These people don't make money doing this. They are there for the labor of the love and the love of the industry. You know, Facebook is a wonderful way and Instagram and other social media outlets are a great way to to thank those people that have done a hard, had, you know, given up their week basically to, to put this on for everyone. You know, say nice things on Facebook um, for the committee and, and thank them for their hard work. Um, because it is a massive job. And for the people behind the scenes that are, you know, up in those higher positions, like the general chairman and superintendent, this becomes their job amongst the job that they already do Monday through Friday. Um, and they are worn out after conventions. So those little thank yous on Facebook, go, uh, they are red and they mean the world to those people. So make sure we do that. That they do. And a convention really culminates, um, sometimes over two years of hard work and, you know, countless hours dedicated. So, so thank our volunteers whenever you can, and just please be patient and kind. Um, we all have times when we're tired and not at our best, but, but try to be patient and kind to everyone. You got it. Well, I think that takes us to the end of episode 26 and that's our pre-convention planning episode. And it's one that uh, will be a timeless episode. So whenever you need a little refresher on convention, whether you've been before or not, or maybe you're a little out of practice, you know, this is one you're going to want to listen to later on. And a reminder to all of our listeners that the rabbitry on Facebook will continue to serve as our hub. So if you want to find this episode as long as well as others from the past and current ones, Find The Rabbitry on Facebook, follow and share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe to us on whichever platform you listen to Best in Show podcast, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or Audible. We're on all of them, and your comments mean the world to us. And as always, if you'd like to reach Brian and I, we're available through our email. That's podcastbestinshow at gmail.com. All right, Brian, take it away. Until next time, talk rabbits and talk cavies. While this podcast would not be possible without the American Rabbit Breeders Association, it does not constitute an official communication of the association. The information, viewpoints, and opinions expressed herein are those of the hosts and our guests and are not endorsed by the ARBA. To learn more about the ARBA, please visit www.arba.net.